Matthew 5, 21 through 26. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. We have uh, been looking through what it means to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We've looked through the Beatitudes and we've seen just how blessed we can be. And we've seen that there's a progression, that there is one layer added upon another all the way through the Sermon on the Mount And every step we take is built on what the Lord has said before. And it's no different this morning with the words that we hear today. Because, you see, he's now starting to unpack what he meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. At this point, he's going to start telling us how we're supposed to be manifesting ourselves as salt and light in the world. We're going to be distinct. We're going to be different from the world. And he starts out by saying, you have heard, you have heard. In verse 21, he says, you have been, you have heard. And then in verse 22, he says, but I say to you, this is very important people because you have heard what the scribes and the Pharisees have said, he's saying. He said, but now I say to you, and remember who's talking. This is the author of the Old Testament who is here speaking at this time. And he's the one who is saying, you have heard this said about murder. You have heard this said about killing. Now, this is what I meant when I said that. Not what these guys said. And you see, from this point on, what he's going to be doing is telling them that everything that you think you know about your relationship with God, everything that you think you know about living the life that God has for you, everything that you've heard uh, other people tell you, that you've heard your leaders tell you, everything you've heard is wrong. And I'm here to tell you how it really is. And so we need to hear what he has to say. May he give us ears to hear what he has to say 
this morning. He tells us, first of all, you have heard, and let's ask ourselves, what have we heard? We know they heard from the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, remember back then, they didn't have Bibles like we do today. My goodness, we average like four Bibles in every household in the United States. There are places where the Bible is so precious that they have to guard pieces of it that they have in their possession. I remember a missionary talking about how he went to a a Chinese uh, worship service in communist China and he pulled out his Bible and all they had were bits and pieces that, uh, that they had laminated just to keep them safe. Pages out of the Bible, parts of scripture. And they saw his whole Bible and they just all gathered around it and they put their hands on it and they wept. It was so, his God's word was so precious to them and they didn't have access to it like we do. And we just take it for granted, don't we? We take it for granted. But he's saying, don't take my word for granted. He said, don't just listen. Don't just hear what other people say. Find out what I have to say. So because they listened, they, they had to depend on the scribes and the Pharisees because they didn't have copies of the Bible at home. And yet the scribes and the Pharisees were adding layers of stuff upon Scripture that wasn't there. They were making up religious rules that uh, uh, they had like 333 or some odd rules that they that they said you had to keep that weren't uh, what, what, what God's rules were. They're just all these other things that were kind of tied to that. So, uh, and I'm not going to go into details about that. But so he's saying, don't let bad and erroneous teaching be your guide in life. They had the scribes and Pharisees. Who do we listen to besides really opening our hearts before God's word? Some of us, it's our parents that gave us erroneous teaching. Let's, let's face it. And they had been given erroneous teaching as well. Some of us, it's our friends. Some of us, it's movies and the media. Some of us, it's just some sort of folk religion that's been passed down. And there is so much of that. Let's, uh, let's see here. How many of you ever heard, well, all things work together for good. Have you ever heard that? Let's see your hands. How many of you think that's true? Let's see your hand. How many think that's what the Bible really says? What it says is, All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's very different than just all things work together for good. There's okay. Another one is uh, the Lord's never going to put on you more than you can bear. That's something I hear all the time. Well, preacher, it's getting it's tough right now. But I know the Lord's not going to put more on me than I can bear. Ladies and gentlemen, I have sad news for you and great news at the same time. The Lord's always going to be putting more on you than you can bear so that you won't get the glory when you come through it, so that you will need him to help you through. He's always going to be putting more on you than you can bear 
So you will be dependent on him. Uh, anyway, so that's, uh, oh, and the other one is God wouldn't send anybody to hell. Boy, you buy into that, it's going to change your whole relationship to the world because you're going to let a lot of people go to hell in the handbasket. Yes, he's a loving God. But if you look at his word, you see he's also a God of justice. And we would not want a God that was not a God of justice, especially if you've had something horrible happen to you and the people were unpunished that did it. You want justice. And God is a God of justice. And justice is taken care of two places. One place is taken care of, and this is just it. As far as rules go, there's really only one rule we need to follow today. And that is the one that Jesus gave us. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That is the only rule that we need to really pay any attention to because everything else is going to fall out under that where it's supposed to. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only one rule. There was only one rule in the Garden of Eden, wasn't there? Only one rule. You can do anything you want to, eat anything you want, just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Only one rule, and they broke it. They couldn't keep it. They wouldn't keep it. They wanted to be like God. And so nowadays, again, there's only one rule, and there's so many people that want to reject that rule. They want to reject that the only way to have a good and right relationship with God is through the cross and the blood and the lordship of Jesus Christ. That unless we appropriate personally for our sin, what he's done for us, receive the forgiveness that he purchased with his precious blood, then we're not going to be right with him. There's no way. One rule we need to keep, and that is to come to him and receive what he has to offer us. And then from there, we go into the life that he has to give us. Well, in fact, we prayed a prayer today. And uh, what, what I, I thought of this as I was looking at this. You know, there's so many times that uh, we want to go with our feelings on things. And we want to go with what we want to do instead of looking at God's word. And when, when and even your friends, you know, your friends will tell you, well, you have every right to feel that way. You had every right and you had every right to say what you said to that person. But you know what? This is something we need to remember. Our rights never trump God's will. I'm going to repeat that. Our rights never trump God's will. His will is always supreme. And if Jesus is Lord, his will will be supreme in our lives. We prayed a prayer a while ago. We said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I heard a preacher last night say that implicit in that is thy kingdom come, my kingdom go. You hear that? Thy kingdom come, my kingdom go. 
we need to put ourselves to one side when it comes to will, whenever it conflicts with his will. And Jesus makes it clear. We're going to talk more about this next week, that uh, it begins in the heart. And that's what he's getting at in the rest of this passage. And he begins to talk about relationships. And interestingly, the first thing that he brings up is anger. Now, anger is a, uh, it's a, uh, it's an emotion and there's good anger and there's bad anger. It's uh, anger's anger. Let's face it. Emotions are just like money. Emotions are neutral. It's what you do with them that makes the difference. And if you let your anger handle you or you handle it wrongly, it'll destroy you and it'll destroy people around you. You handle it rightly, and it can cause you to be closer to other people even. But it's got to be handled rightly. We're going to be talking about how to handle anger next week. But uh, this week, I want to just uh, let us see that why it is that Jesus brings this up at the very beginning in relationships. When he starts talking about relationships, he brings up anger. It's an emotion that was given to us by God to keep us from being hurt. It's an emotion that was given to us that puts a wall between us and other people, doesn't it? What's wrong, honey? Nothing. There's a wall there, isn't there? There's a wall that goes up. Well, I wait a minute. You know, there's a wall that goes up. Anger puts a wall between you and others. Anger is a gift from God. It was given to us. It's a negative emotion, yes. Negative emotions are like the light, the red light on your dashboard, on your car. If you see a red light go on and start flashing on your uh, on your dashboard, uh, does that mean everything's cool? No, it means something is really wrong and you better do something about it fast. Well, that's what negative emotions are for. They're to let us know that something is not right. And if you're living angry all the time, God's tapping you on the shoulder this morning and letting you know there's some things that you need to work on. There's some things that you need some help with from him. And so, uh, but anger puts up a wall. It separates and it starts in the heart. And this is what Jesus is going to tell us ultimately that everything starts in the heart. Good and bad come forth ultimately from the heart. It starts in the heart. The next thing that happens are going to be either word or are going to can be words. And then sometimes there will be action. And anger can result in death if not handled properly. We go back to the first book of the Bible. We look at Genesis. We look at Cain and Abel. They both offered a sacrifice to God. Cain got angry because his sacrifice wasn't acceptable to God. And God came and visited him. And he said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Whenever you're angry, you should hear God asking you that question. Just like he asked Cain, why are you angry? And we're going to talk next week about uh, how to use your anger to understand yourself a whole lot better. 
and how to draw closer to the Lord and to other people by understanding your anger. So then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Why is your face all grumpy looking? If you do well, will not your countenance, your countenance is your face, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not, well, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. If you don't handle anger properly, it leads to sin. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. So what did Cain do? He petted his anger and he killed his brother. Anger resulted in murder. Anger not only uh, results in death. In the Old Testament, we see also it can bar us from God's blessings. Moses was so close to God. He was uh, so, it was one that was just like a friend of God. And yet he got angry at the people and it caused him to disobey God. He was uh, told to strike the rock. And instead, he, whenever the people needed water, but in anger, he struck the angry at the people. He disobeyed God and struck the rock twice. And because he disobeyed God out of his anger, he was barred from entering the promised land. Not handling our anger rightly, you see, can bar us from major blessings from God. Well, David, uh, there was a time whenever he found himself uh, envious and then upset whenever he saw that bad people seemed to do so well. You see, he saw injustice. Bad people just got along just fine in the world and it bothered him. How come they don't have any problems? How come they get all this good stuff happening? And he got bitter about it. He got angry about it. And he says, uh, when my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was, listen to this, senseless and ignorant. I was like a dumb beast, just like a dumb animal before you. He wasn't even in his right mind before God. Anger, not handled rightly, can separate us from God's presence and from fellowship with God. And then he goes on and he talks about, he, he goes from anger to words. He said that anger in your heart is like murder. And then he starts saying, anger expressed through words is even worse. And first of all, he says, if you call somebody worthless, if in anger you tell someone they're worthless, it's like, it's just like stabbing them with a sword. He says it's like murder. If you call someone an idiot or dummy, it's like you have pierced them through. And God counts that the same as murder. Now, you see, words are so powerful. And it says 
Uh, Matthew, I mean, Jesus tells us, but I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Every word that we say, every word that hurts, every word that heals, we're going to be God sees and hears them all. I'd like to demonstrate something with you. Toby, I told you I was going to be calling on you, my friend. Come on up here. Okay. I just want you to hold out your hand. And uh, see, this is a brand new tube of toothpaste. It's never been used before. See, it doesn't even have anything. All right. Now then, this is like your mouth. These are like this toothpaste. We're going to let it, we're going to let it uh, res- or represent words, angry words, words that shouldn't be spoken. And uh, has anybody ever said a bad, I'm not, I don't want you to say bad words up here, okay? Uh, but has anybody uh, ever said anything to you that hurt? Maybe. Okay. Well, let's, I'll, I'll just help you out here. Like maybe somebody said, got angry at you and they said something bad and they just, it's just, that's, that's like, uh, that's like an angry word being spoken. And then maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, has Avery ever said he gotten angry at you and said something when she was mad? All right, maybe she said, and you this, and then, and you this, and then, and you this, you know, just one angry word after another. And the thing is that God tells us that we're not supposed to do that. Now, I want to thank you for helping me with this demonstration. Now, if you don't mind, we don't want to waste this toothpaste. So would you put it back in the tube, please? I don't know if that's possible. Huh? I don't know if that's possible. You don't think that's possible. Okay, well, you know, you are right. And the thing is, just like it's not possible, I'm looking for something for you to help you out with your hand here. Uh, I thought I had. There we go. Uh The thing is, these are just like words spoken. Once they're spoken, they cannot be taken back. Isn't that right? Well, do you is that is that it? You need some more? Let me go ahead. Okay, there we go. Thank you for your help today. Thank you, Toby. But uh, let's give him a hand for being a good sport. Words. That's another thing. You see, words once they're out. You can't take them back. You may say you're sorry, but the hurt is still there. You can't take the scars off of someone's heart. You can't heal the wound that's already been caused. See, words can kill. Look at what bullying does. Cyberbullying, words spoken, character assassination taking place. It can words can cause literal and real death in this world today. Our words are so powerful. And this is why Jesus starts out talking in relationships and how when relationships are severed, now how words can can hurt so badly and words can divide verbal abuse. I know in my own family, I remember my grandmother telling me, on several occasions, just remembering in my presence about how her dad told her she was trying to give me good advice, but the way she said it was, uh, you know, you should all, you should get an education. That's something that can never be taken away from you. 
That's what my daddy told me, she said. She said that uh, you better get an education because you're never going to be able to make it on your looks. Because uh, there was a, uh, a contest, ugliest man contest in Atlanta, Texas, and I won, and you look like me. Well, I tell you what, that cut her to the quick, that haunted her. And every time she would tell that, she would wind up at the point where she was crying and she'd say, I know my daddy loved me. I know he loved me. But those words haunted her till the day she died. Words can hurt and words can cause pain that will be passed on to your children. My father, I can remember on several occasions him remembering his mother looking at him with angry eyes and saying, I wish you had never been born. Can you imagine a mother, how you would feel if your mother told you that? Those words hurt him. They haunted him his entire life. I can remember him telling me he's going to knock all my teeth out. I can remember him telling me he was going to knock my head off. I can remember him telling me I was going to be crawling back through the wall looking for band-aids if I did something again, you know. Uh, he threatened to kill me several times, you know. And I could have let that hurt. But he did so much worse than that. That was minor. But the thing is, things don't have to, those scars don't have to stay there. Well, the scars may remain, let's face it. But even though the scars are there, the Lord can use them as reminders to help you to do better and to make sure that you don't pass things on. And I'll share with you some other time how the Lord made it clear to me that I was passing that same pain on to my kids and I needed to do something about it. And there's a way because our words are powerful. We talked a while back about the ripple effect. We have a ripple effect, do you see? We have a ripple effect either for good or for evil in the lives of those around us. And it's through our words that those ripples go out many, many times. But see, words don't always have to hurt. Words don't always have to destroy. They can also heal. They can also bring hope. They can also bring life. And I want to close with a story that illustrates this. Fred Craddock tells the story of uh, one summer when he was on vacation going back to uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. He was on a short vacation. And uh, they found a little restaurant where they could have a private meal, just the two of them. And while they're waiting for their meal, they noticed uh, a distinguished-looking, white-haired gentleman moving from table to table, visiting with the guests. And Fred Craddock whispered to his wife, I hope he doesn't come over here. He didn't want the man to intrude on their privacy. But the man did come to his table. And he said, amicably, where are you folks from? And they said, Fred, Fred said, Oklahoma. Splendid state, I hear, although I've never been there. What do you do for a living? And Fred Craddock told him, uh, I teach homiletics at the Graduate Seminary of Phillips University. He said, oh, so you preach 
you, you teach preachers to preach, do you? Fred Craddock was surprised. He knew what homiletics meant. He said, well, I've got a story I want to tell you. And with that, he pulled up a chair and he sat down with Craddock and his wife. And uh, Dr. Craddock just kind of groaned inwardly. You know, he was on vacation. He says, oh, no, here comes another preacher story. It seems everybody has a preacher story. Well, the man stuck out his hand and said, I am Ben Hooper. I was born not far here across the, from here across the mountains. My mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had a hard time. When I started school, my classmates had a name for me, and it wasn't a very nice name. I used to go off by myself at recess and during lunchtime because the taunts of my playmates cut so deeply. What was worse was going downtown on Saturday evening or Saturday afternoon. And as I walked down the street, feeling every eye burning a hole through me, they were all wondering just who my real father was. When I was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to our town. I'd always go in late and slip out early, but one day the preacher said the benediction so fast I got caught and had to walk out with the crowd. I could feel every eye in the church on me. And just about the time I got to the door, I felt a big hand on my shoulder. I looked up and the preacher was looking right at me. Who are you, son? Whose boy are you? He said, I felt the old weight come on me. It was like a big black cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down. But as he looked down at me, studying my face, he began to smile, a big smile of recognition. Wait a minute, he said. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You are a son of God. With that, he slapped me across the rump and said, Boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. The old man looked across the table at Fred Craddock and said, That was the most important single sentence ever said to me. With that, he smiled, shook the hands of Craddock and his wife, and moved on to another table to greet old friends. Well, suddenly, Fred Craddock remembered his grandfather telling him about the fact that on two occasions, the people of Tennessee had elected an illegitimate son to be their governor. He was the most well-loved man in all of Tennessee, and his name was Ben Hooper. You see, words don't have to hurt. Words can heal. And as you are salt and light in the world, it will show through your words, and your words will bring life instead of death. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.